Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books. Okay, here we are back, uh, day three of Heroes Con 2007, and I am pleased at, uh, and honored that we're joined uh, this morning by Don Rosa, uh, the great uh, creator uh, of some wonderful Uncle Scrooge stories. We interviewed Don for our show a couple of years ago, and uh, we're just pleased that, Don, that you're back with us. Good morning. Uh, good morning, yeah. This is a nice way to spend the opening moments of today's uh, show here. Yeah, well, tell me how the uh, Heroes Con 2007 has been for you so far. We've been here for a couple of days now. The crowd's been pretty good. How's it been? Oh, it's been uh, surprisingly good. I uh, sometimes think I shouldn't go to the same show year after year because... Uh, uh, the Donald Duck, Uncle Scrooge comics don't have that big a following in, in America compared to places like everywhere else. So I figure there's a limited number of fans that I would encounter in a certain city. And once I've been there once or twice, they've uh, seen everything or uh, said everything they need to. But I've, I stayed busy all day yesterday. It was nice. Well, that's great. I tell you, I know you, you, you comment that uh, the fan base uh, maybe not be as big as some of the other uh, comics. But I want to tell you that uh, I, I'm one of your big fans. I love well, the... Uh, I love the Life and Time series. I've got the, uh, the the first book and then the companion book, and I've got all the originals as well. So I just want to say it. One, a fan to uh, the creator that I really appreciate what you've done with that character. Well, the, the fans that are, are in, in America are certainly appreciative. There's, uh, there's no question about that. And uh, you mentioned those uh, two new gemstone reprint books of the Life of Scrooge. They did a magnificent job on those. I'm really proud of them. I was actually kind of... Uh, uh, almost offended that uh, the Eisners didn't even give them a nomination for the best presentation of, uh, I think, like, what do they have, reprint uh, trade right. paperback? Not even a nomination. No. Well, they certainly deserved that. No I question. think they did. They did a great job. I had nothing to do with it. I don't... Yep. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Let's, let's pause this just a second here. All right, we had a little interruption there from the PA system that's about as loud as it sounds like the voice of God every time it comes <laughs> on in this place. Uh, we were talking about the Life and Times uh, uh, compilation. Uh, I agree with you. I think it, it should have been nominated. It's certainly one of my favorite reads. I've read the Life and Times series uh, several times. I enjoy it so much. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm not referring to my, you know, the stories themselves. They're those are reprints. They just did a real nice job of recoloring them and uh, relettering them. And right. uh, I went through the entire first printing and found the little mistakes in the oh and they even uh, have new people at the disney corporation it's a corporation that keeps uh, the minor functionaries keep coming and going and uh so the the idiotic things that they censored out the first time they they uh, the new people said well why would anybody censor that they, you know they yeah. put it back in you know like things like a uh a portrait hanging on a wall with a bullet hole in the forehead just a portrait on the wall with a bullet hole during right. a gunfight. They, right. they were able to put that terrible image back into the comics. No, it was, it was just a really nice uh, representation. I was real proud of it. Tell, tell us, uh, Don, about some of the uh, prints that you have over at your table. I, I saw them this year, and, and of course, uh, the last couple of years I've been at the Hero Show when I've seen you. Uh, you've got some, some prints uh, where you put the, the duck characters along with the Golden Age great covers, such as Action uh, 1 and Tech 27. Well, I, uh, when I stopped doing... Uh, I used to sit at shows and do full-color drawings for people. Uh, take like 45 minutes a piece for $30 or so. And uh, when I got onto eBay about eight years ago, I saw what a very few people, the eBay louts, were doing with those. They could get, they get a thousand dollars a piece for those things from the Europeans. Were because uh, when I go to Europe, there's there's no time for me to do anything but sign my name as fast as I as I can at a department store. But uh, I. When somebody, uh, nice friends like Shelton invite me to a show, I've, I've got to have something because right. people generally don't have any of the comics. I realized that I'd done private commissions over the last 20 years or things for charity auctions. 
and uh, maybe there were other people that would be interested in those same uh, images. I'd kept color copies of them since I'd, uh, I didn't have the originals anymore, and uh, so I have some certain ones of those printed up. You mentioned the cover parodies. Those were about half of those I did for charity auctions in San Diego when they would invite uh, some golden age, uh, as, uh, since you're a golden age uh, your, uh, your podcast title, the, the Golden Age Writers or Artists to a Banquet, and the, I would do uh, a parody of one of their famous comic covers, right. and they'd uh, raffle that to raise money f- to help pay for the expenses, and others I would do for, uh, uh, never for money, but for to swap to old comic dealer friends of mine for some old comics. I was too cheap to buy for $5 back in 1970, and now are like $5,000, and I'm even more cheap. Uh, I'm still not willing to pay $5, though. Right. But uh, so I'd, uh, anyway, uh, I have a lot of fun doing those uh, cover parodies. Now, of course, uh, uh, and there's other g- more generic things, Daisy and Donald and so on. Now, I'm giving those away free, though, of course. You know, you're only right. paying for the autograph. That's right. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, that's a good story, and I'll, <laughs> I'll agree with that story. <laughs> Tell me, uh, other than at a con, are those available to your fans if they want uh, to no. get those? No, I'm, I'm sorry, they're not. I, okay. uh, I do get frequent uh, requests to sell those through the mail or on eBay, but those are just for me to have, like I say, something to have when I go to a, a convention in America. Well, tell your fans, Don, what your uh, con schedule is coming up for the rest of the year, if you know it. Well, uh, this is the last of, gosh, about six of them. So if you'd have asked me that about uh, two months ago, it would have been much more impressive. But now, let's see. <laughs> I'll be in, uh, I always go to San Diego, but just to uh, wander around. I'm never an invited guest to San Diego. Right. Uh, uh, of course, I'll be at the Baltimore Comic-Con, uh, right there in uh, where Gemstone is. So they always invite me up there. Right. I'll be at the Gothenburg Book Fair in, in uh, Sweden, but I'm not sure how many of your, uh, well, you're, this is an internet podcast, so some yeah. of your, in fact, uh, lots think, of your listeners might be over I, there I in think, Sweden. I think we have a worldwide audience. Yeah. I want to hope we do anyway. <laughs> uh, but gosh, no, I just, uh, just uh, this is uh, slowing down now, so I don't have uh, sure. many more that I can that come to mind. Let's see. Well. Let me, while you're thinking about that, yeah. let me ask you, Don, are there, uh, are there any events, in, in, at least as far as uh, your creativity is concerned, coming up in the life of Scrooge McDuck that we know of? Uh, not as such. Uh, I, uh, I'm staying completely busy now writing texts and doing covers just for the Don Rosa compilations that they're doing over in Europe. Mm-hmm. They're doing, for instance, they, uh, in most of the countries in Europe, they're running a like a Don Rosa library where they reprint all of my stuff in hardback and chronological order, and wow. I'll contribute lots of extra material to that and then do covers and uh, write texts. And, uh, and other uh, events like uh, Scrooge's uh, 60th anniversary, which is this year. I've been doing a series of posters hmm. on that, uh, but I'm not, uh, not currently writing and drawing any actual stories. I'm still keeping busy the 100 percent of the time well that's good are there any plans to celebrate uh, scrooge's 60th anniversary here in the u.s that you're aware of uh not that i'm aware of well uh, we need to we need to do yeah, something about that i need to ask the folks at gemstone i'm not in constant contact with them but right. uh occasionally uh, uh i'm sure they'll do something but no I'm, I'm not aware of any uh special book they have planned like they did for the 50th what gladstone did 10 years ago for the 50th right they can't even uh uh, these 12 posters that I did for Europe, uh, the 12 most uh, elaborate single drawings I've, I've made in my life, they are not allowed to use those in America because 
they don't have a license for posters. I'll be darned. Uh, Disney, of course, breaks up their licenses uh, in a thousand different ways, and uh, Gemstone Comics cannot produce a poster, so they might put those on the back cover, which would be itty-bitty mini-posters. But right. uh, they, Well, of course, they should be doing those by now, but uh, maybe they'll... Be running them next year for be great Scrooge's if, 61st birthday uh, yeah. anniversary. Well, that would be great if Disney would allow those to be distributed and sold in the United States. I know you'd have a, a great audience and a great uh, uh, a great base of folks that would want to see those. Well, and but that's you, Disney. That's something I'm. That's not my department. Okay. I have no idea what what they're doing about that. Sure. Tell me, you mentioned that the uh, over in Europe they're doing uh, in chronological order uh, a compilation of your works in, in hard yeah. hardbound yeah. form. Tell, tell us about that a little bit. Are there any, are there any plans to do anything similar to that uh, here in the U.S. that you know of? Well, uh, I never, uh, since I you know, don't get any royalties off of it anyway, if I, if I did, I'd be pressuring them all the time to say, why don't you do this, why don't you? But uh, this is all already assembled uh, for them in Europe. Uh, the publisher I work for is in uh, like two or three dozen countries, uh, and so they have to have a corporate language when they communicate between all their branches and which happens to be English. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the material is already there all in English. Uh, so when Gemstone decides to, and I hope, I hope they will, if they think it's a good idea, uh, they could, uh, they could uh, take over the, this uh, Hall of Fame series, it's called in, in mm -hmm. Europe, and uh, the stuff's ready to, ready to go. All, they don't even have to translate it, just uh, assemble it in their own way, and then uh, they'd have a whole series of books. They're up to number five. Uh, in uh, Europe, I just finished working on the, the fish, fifth volume. They do about one every oh, uh, nine months or so over there. Wow, well, that's great. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see something like that uh, here in the U.S. Well, Don, uh, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and uh, end this now. I know we're getting okay. ready to get the, yeah, we're gonna get the to crowd through the door. And you've got a table, but uh, I really appreciate you being on the show again, and I hope we'll see you again next year at the uh, Heroes Con 2008. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay, well, thanks to Don Rosa for that uh, nice interview. Now we're joined by uh, none other than John Hitchcock. Uh, John uh, is a comic book uh, dealer. John, do you still have a, a store? Yeah, in Greensboro, North Carolina, Greensboro. Parts Unknown. Okay, great. We've, uh, been, a, we've been in business uh, this August, 18 years. Wow. We're, we're in Greensboro, do you have a web address for your store? Yeah, it's uh, partsunknown.net. Okay, great. Well, hopefully the Golden Age fans that listen to my show will, will check out your uh, your store. The reason we've got John on the show, though, is I was walking the, the halls yesterday here at Heroes Con, and I found a book that really intrigued me. It's called uh, Dear John, Alex Toth, and it's the uh, Alex Toth doodle book by Alex Toth and John Hitchcock. Of course, John uh, here with me. John, uh, tell us a little bit about this book. I read through it last night. It, it looks like it's primarily uh, uh, postcards and, and drawings that you've acquired from Alex uh, over the years, of course, before his untimely death in May of 2006. Tell us a little bit about your book. Well, uh, originally, uh, I, I was a, I'm one of those guys that's kind of old-fashioned. I like to write letters. And uh, the first guy uh, I ever wrote a letter to that I, I didn't know, really uh, didn't I never I didn't know mm -hmm. was uh, you know the great Wally Wood I wrote him a letter buying one of his Sally Forth magazines huh. and uh, he basically uh, I wrote a, a fan letter enclosed to buy two copies of the first Sally Forth book right. that he was self-publishing and I figured you know there's no way he'll get it but just let him know that you know I'm a big fan I really love his work and and so I got a package in the mail with Sally Forth's in it 
and wow. no response. So I was like, well, you know, Raleigh Wood lives in a castle somewhere <laughs> with a drawbridge. He isn't going to talk. You know, you, you couldn't get a hold of him like that. That's ridiculous. And like two days later, I got a postcard directly from Wally Wood, which totally blew me away. I was wow. in, early in college, and he wrote me this handwritten postcard, wonderful, you know. He, he said, yes, yeah, send me some comics. I'd be glad to autograph them. So I corresponded with Wally Wood for, uh, you know, about five or six years up until his death. Love to see that book. Uh, well, you can you can go to the, like the Parts Unknown website and and uh, go to the links and um, you can you can read all the letters we have them posted there, so you can actually go wow. and, and read every letter that he sent me and my response and kind of explaining what he was talking about and and uh, so it was really very it's really cool you know to yeah. actually get correspondence from this guy. Yeah, that's Wood, Wood was such a classic, uh, you know, golden age, well, late golden age with the EC stuff that he did and then his work on the spirit was just phenomenal. Well, he, you know, he was a, you know, the guy, you know, and of course Thunder Agents and, you know, Daredevil and I mean, he just did everything. I mean, he could do everything. Well, he's one of those rare guys that could do, you know, comedy, he could do uh, serious stuff, he could do science fiction stuff, he could do anything. Right. But he was wonderful, really, really very kind to me and I was in number two in his fan club and and all that stuff. Wow. So when he when he died, um, I uh, I wanted to write somebody else, and and I accidentally um, in the comics buyer's guide they published one of his postcards with the art on it, and it had right. his address on it. And I said, that's the guy. <laughs> so in 1981, I wrote him a letter, and uh, with a little it was a really crummy letter, and, and in the letter was a little article I wrote about him, and I got this wonderful response, this two-page letter. And uh, basically, he said, "You know, you seem to get it. You seem to understand what I'm talking about. You know, it's." And then he, he wrote me this wonderful, uh, very encouraging letter, and I was just once again blown away at the generosity that he would take that much time. Right. Little did I know that Toth was a voracious uh, letter writer. If you anybody wrote him a letter, he always seems to have found the time to write you back. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, he did a commission, a Zorro commission piece for me, and. And we, we started corresponding. We started writing. And uh, Wally Wood was a guy that if you sent him two letters, he'd maybe write you one. Right. Alex Toth was a guy, if you wrote him one letter, you would get a letter within a week back and sometimes even more. That's uh, amazing. And, wow. and we just, it's just, to be honest with you, I, I think I was incredibly lucky. But I also think that uh, uh, Alex uh, liked me because I love comics as much as he did. Right. There's nobody that loved, you know, he, his whole life, he really was a, he was interested in a, in a variety of things. He had a photographic memory. Um, he was he he had a he had a, a memory of history like nobody's business. You could bring up a guy's name out of the blue, and he would have a story. He'd know what he did. He knew everything about comics. Wow. And so I think that was the the basis for our friendship, and and we right. continued to correspond um, up until. Uh, two weeks before he passed away. Now, he actually got his start in the Golden Age in, in the mid-40s, is that right? Well, his first his first published stuff was for Heroic Comics, and uh, he basically was probably 15 years old. Wow. And, uh, and that's right near the end of World War II. So there was a, there was a you know, if you had any talent at all, they would grab you because most a lot of the artists were away at war. Right. And, um, and so uh, he worked for Heroic for, for maybe maybe a year or so, and then he immediately goes to the penthouse and starts working for DC, which is as high a level as you could. And right. and there was it was an interesting time period because that's like the first generation of guys that grew up that wanted to be comic book artists, right. not comic strip artists or not magazine illustrators. They wanted to be. They love comics and they wanted to do comics. And Alex was one of those kids, and, and he shared a studio when he first started working at DC with Joe Kubert 
and Carmine Infantino wow, that's and cool. Alex Toth in one place. They didn't stay <laughs> together too long because I'm sure they, you know, they they clashed on topics, right, uh, or politics or whatever. But um, yeah, he went to work. Shelley Mayer was his editor, uh, probably one of the most important people in his life. Uh, a very patient man, mm-hmm. a crazy guy, uh, a guy that would motivate him and push him to become. Uh, to become better, uh, not to coast, to seek out the best way to tell a story. Right. Mayor, of course, you know, famous for uh, Sugar and Spike and, you know, and, and that kind of material. He was a cartoonist himself. Right. Um, and, and there was a guy working there named Saul Harrison who would always look at Alex's work and say, you know, it's very nice, Alex, but you don't know what to leave out. And it drove Alex crazy because it motivated him to become better because he was trying to please these these two older peers mm-hmm. that he had great respect for. And uh, I think that was a big part of the motivation because even even 50 years later, he would still talk about, yeah, that Saul Harrison always said, I never knew what to leave out, and it drove me crazy. And I think that kind of drove him to more economy style where he was trying to, uh, he kind of started following, you know, Sickles and Kniff, and of course, you know, the great Roy Crane right. of Wash Tubbs. Uh, Captain Easy, he was he was really into that stuff, and and uh, and those guys did pare their stuff away and try to get a more purity of style instead of uh, filling the page up with uh, with you know Wally Wood used to call it clutter, you know right. I need to cut down on my clutter because they wanted a more purity of the form, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know comic books said it's best is great storytelling, right? And so you know, it, but it's hard to imagine the guys like 16 years old. Or 17 years old, he's working for All Star Comics. He's working for All American, doing Green Lantern, Rex the Wonder Dog, Johnny uh, Johnny uh, Thunder. You know when the westerns were so hot. Right. And uh, and he also uh, worked on a uh, um, uh, Big Town and did some covers for that. And and he, he you know Street the Wonder Dog and and uh, I mean he just he 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 was just exploded. Right. And uh, and 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 Cubert and Inventino, of course exploded too. I mean right. they were brilliant. And, uh, and before you realized that there was this new generation of these, these you know, Will Eisen used to call them Neanderthals. It's like these titan Neanderthals roaming the earth who were just <laughs> trying to f- find a place to make, to, to do work, to do right. great things. Right. Um, so uh, Toth started working for me, you know, Strange Adventures. And, and uh, he stayed at D.C. He had a falling out with Julie Swartz of Strange Adventures. Uh, and anybody that knows comics history will say, well, wait a minute, don't don't gloss over that. But the truth be told, Alex did not grab Julius Swartz and hang him out of the window by his tie, threatening to kill him. That's not true. I talked to Julie, I talked to Alex. Both guys denied the story, but there was a big falling out between them. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it was I'm, all over a script, you know. Right, right. Well, I'm glad he didn't hang him out the window. Well, it, it has accelerated. Through, uh, through comic book artist history for the last <laughs> 40 or 50 years that Alex was like a cult hero because he was the one guy who grabbed an editor and basically tried to kill him. But that's not really true. Um, but, you know, and, and he went from, you know, DC Comics to EC Comics where he did three stories, Thunderjet, right. Saberjet, and uh, Dying City. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then went to Standard Comics and he did a ton of romance stuff, and, and which he loved doing because it was a, it was a change of pace from you know, horror and war and science fiction. Right. And uh, and then you know he went to the military and the army, and when he got out, uh, he stayed on the west coast and he started working for uh, Dell Comics, and doing those wonderful you know complete Dell four color books, Clinton Mac, uh, 
Land Unknown, um, a variety of different things. He even had a different style where he would do like Danny Thomas and the, and the Real McCoys, and it'd be more of a cartoony Bigfoot stuff. Right. Then you do like Clint Mack, and it would look like uh, Robert Fawcett had drawn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Zorro, of course, which you know is a very high watermark for him. And um, and then from there, of course, he ended up uh, mending bridges with DC. Started doing more material for DC. That's when Hot Wheels and that kind of stuff started happening. Right. But uh, he had also discovered animation around 1962, and uh, and basically created. All the really cool cartoons of the '60s, like right. Space Ghost, the Herculoids, and uh, My Tour, and you know worked on Super Friends, uh, mm-hmm. Josie and the Pussycats, anything that you ever watched on Saturday morning cartoons fr- during the '60s through the early '70s. Right. Alex Toth was the the character designer on. Right. Wow. So he had cool. an incredibly uh, amazing life. Uh, considered to be a genius in the comic field, considered to be a genius in the animation field and highly respected mm-hmm. so i i was going for high cotton when i wrote him the first letter and you did and and he loved it i mean he loved writing back and forth we used to talk on the phone but there was something really weird about getting a uh, a bill from southern bell that basically said uh you know two and a half hour long distance call to hollywood yeah, ouch. and i was sitting there talking to alex for that long and then and then you know he called me one day and he said i got my phone bill and i hate you and I said, look, I got a great idea. Let's cut down the phone calls and let's just continue to write letters. I like to write letters. You like to write letters. Let's just kind of cut it back a little bit on the calls because it's so expensive. We'll just do it through the mail. Right. And, and, and believe me, uh, I, was, I knew that this was documentation, that this was valuable because I wanted to get this guy in his own handwriting to talk about his history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when the Toth website, Toth fans, came about what what is that website it's i think it's tothfans.com or but you okay. can just you can do a the, google search on, yeah it's in the book but you can you can go to toth you can just google toth fans it's the first thing that comes up okay but alex worked on the website and did our articles and documents and documentation and we started documenting his stories which i'm really proud of because uh i was reading you remember the warren collector that came out the yeah. big uh tomorrow's book right. uh comic book artist magazine mm-hmm. and they sat down with uh, neil adams and they went through every single one of his stories and when I saw that, I went, oh, my God, we've, we've got to do that with Alex. Because, you know, between you and me, Alex is so much better than Neil Adams. you got to be kidding me. Anyway, but Neil Adams is great. But, you know, I, I was just like, we should document Alex right. talking about his work. And Alex, since he loved to write, everything's documented in his own handwriting. Mm-hmm. So you really get the flavor of the guy, you right. know. And I got to do probably about six or seven stories with him. And uh, where we, we talked about his storytelling, try to break this thing down. And so we got a really valuable block of material out of this guy who basically for the last 20 years of his life was almost a hermit and never left his house. Right. Well, tell us about the, uh, the book, how it came together. And, and I know it came together through what you've just described, all of your communication and correspondence with Alex. Uh, well, when did you get the idea to actually put a book well, together? Well, Alex used to throw all his sketches away. He just threw them in the trash. Ugh. He would have these little pads, and he would sketch on them. And you know, doing finger exercises like playing the piano. You got to keep your hand in it. And and he ended up uh, just throwing them away. And I said, well, "Don't throw them away." I said, "Send them to me, and one day I'll do a book." And he said, "Okay." And I started receiving these little doodle sketches, you know. And some of them are kind of minimal, and some of them are absolutely incredible. They just just go on and on just brilliant stuff and um and he contributed to uh various magazines writing little articles you know for and uh comic artist and and um and so one day uh uh jeff parker 
who uh, was local then. Now he's not, but he's the guy who he does a lot of writing now for Marvel. But he I, he came in the store and I said, "You'll see something cool." And I showed him a little sketchbook and of all the little sketches that Alex did. And he said, "You know, you got a book here. If you put it in a form, mm-hmm. I'll publish it." And I went, "Don't say that unless you mean it, because I'll hold you to it." And uh, five years later, we got we finally were able to do it. I I don't have a lot of computer skills. But uh, a friend of mine that I met in the seventh grade, Billy Ingram, who's a, he's the guy who designed the, the website TV Party, mm-hmm. and it's a brilliant website that he single-handedly makes. And he took time, and he took him over 400 hours of computer work to wow. scan and put the material together to make the book. And his friend James Counts, you know, kind of added some uh, artistic flair to the book. Right. And, um, you know, the only thing about the book that was kind of saddening is that Alex saw the, you know, wrote the introduction to the book. He had the final edit on the book. But he died a month before the book came out. Mm, that's terrible. Which was kind of sad because yeah. we were really hoping, you know, he wanted to see the book as much as I did. I mean, right. he, I got tons of letters going, get that thing done, get that book done, or, right. or get that damn book done. <laughs> and so we finally got it done. And, and the good, the only good thing, good thing that worked out of that is when uh, when we had the book finally published last year at San Diego, uh, his his family was there, his two sons mm-hmm. and his two daughters and we were able to give them copies of the book right and uh and they loved it i mean they were so happy right looks like the book's about 256 pages long and uh the cover price is 19.95 us and it published by octopus octopus press you can probably still get it through diamond comics distributors or you can get it through uh you know my store at partsunknown.net i mean still have copies um so it's you know it's it's really an interesting uh personal look at this really uh you know multifaceted brilliant guy right. I mean, all right we uh we got interrupted there by the pa system blaring in the background which has been a real uh, issue throughout the course of the weekend but we were talking uh, talking about uh, the book and and uh alex's contribution how the book was finished just before his death but he didn't get to see it i guess it was finished right around the time he died yeah it, it we got it out the uh, weekend of san diego and alex passed away on may 27th uh, so we missed him by about, uh, you know, three weeks. Um, but, uh, you know, he did have the uh, final edit. Uh, we found out through his son that uh, he actually took the, uh, the, uh, the final draft of our book into intensive care and showed it to Alex in intensive care. Oh, wow. Because Alex really wanted to know about this book, and he basically gave it thumbs up, and he said, if it's good enough for John, it's good enough for me. Go oh, for it. And, that's uh, great. So, yeah, it was it, it's really uh, – you know, it's it's also a real honor to, to find out that this year the book was nominated for an Eisner Award for Best Comic-Related uh, Publication right. uh, for a little teeny, small, little published thing. That's uh, pretty high cotton for us because we're, uh, you know, we're just, you know, Jeff spent his own money to publish it. Mm-hmm. We, we made enough money to basically, uh, you know, pay his cost of publishing it. And the lion's share of the profits for this book are going to go to, we're going to go to Alex, but now they're going to go to his family and they're setting up a scholarship fund to keep a scholarship in Alex's name, which I think is an incredibly uh, wonderful thing to happen. And uh, and we're really thrilled that the book's going to be able to help support that in a small way. Yeah, well, it, I, I looked through it last night. I, I picked up the copy from you yesterday, and I looked through it last night. And it's just awesome to, to anyone interested in, in, in comic book history and learning more about one of the great creators. This book uh, certainly is highly recommended, uh, and, and I would encourage anyone listening to the show to pick it up. Let's back up now a little bit, uh, John, and talk about uh, 
Alex in the golden age of comic books. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, we covered it briefly a few minutes ago, but let's focus, if we can, this obviously the topic of my show is the golden age. Let's focus right. on some of the work that he did uh, when he first got started in the golden age. Uh, he was a young man, obviously uh, a teenager, 15, 16 years old, and uh, moved on very quickly to D.C. But let's talk a little bit about where he got his start and some of the, the highlights of his golden age uh, work that he did. Um. You know, one of the guys that was uh, really important to him that I haven't mentioned is uh, is the great Frank Robbins, who is uh, il an illustrator and also a uh, he did the Johnny Hazard newspaper strip. and um, And Alex, when he was very young, was uh, was attracted to uh, Robbins' uh, talent. It was from the Kniff School, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a little more angular, but still, it was really well done material. Right. And Alex used to be a when he first started, he was kind of a a gopher for Robbins, and he said he couldn't help but be attracted to the to the guy professionally because he had Robbins had built it his own stereo from scratch. Wow! And imagine being a 15 or 16 year old kid, and there's this older guy, maybe five or six years older, how much older Robbins was, but he made his own stereo, and Alex thought that was cool. So uh, when Robbins was working on Johnny Hazard, uh, he would, uh, or maybe Scorchy Smith too. Uh, I think he did some of that before Hazard, but. Mm -hmm. Um, he he would be a gopher for him and go get movie stills and things that he could use to help uh, you know realistic portray some of the, the the stuff in his strip. So Alex was very interested, and Alex kept up with him for over 50 years up until his death, where he was living in Mexico wow. and retired as a painter. Uh, he also was very influenced by Erwin Hazen, who is uh, who's still with us or in his late 80s, early 90s. And Hazen was uh, doing Wildcat, and Alex totally fell in love with his with his style. He thought the guy was really great, and he, and, and and Hazen was, Irwin was very very um, uh, sweet to Alex and very uh, very helpful. Uh, Irwin tells stories about Alex when he was 16 years old going to his house with a with a, a pot of his mother's goulash to bribe <laughs> Irwin to. Uh, to tell him the, the secrets, you know, to give him the secret, the tricks of the trade. Right. Me, Al, I guess Alex figured there was a bottle somewhere you open and you suddenly have right. it. Let me but ask you. Those guys were very, very, uh, very, very generous with their time and were very supportive of him when he was very young. Right. Let me let me stop and ask about Wildcat. Did Alex do any work on the Wildcat feature that you know of? I talked about Wildcat earlier. He in always the show. wanted to. I think he always wanted to, and, and he and he proposed that to DC in the 70s uh, that he wanted to do a Wildcat miniseries and. And um, they were just like, nobody knows who Wildcat is, and they just blow it off. Right. Now, I know that uh, Wildcat was the uh, brainchild not only of, of uh, Irwin, who you mentioned, but also mm -hmm. Bill Finger wrote the uh, the origin of Wildcat. At least it's been attributed to him. Did, did Alex work at all with Bill Finger and put any of his I, scripts? I don't, I don't think he really knew Finger. Um, you know, Finger's one of those, uh, you know, legendary, golden age, brilliant writers who almost becomes across as being a martyr in a weird way because right. you know he's really the driving force behind the creation of Batman that was never credited because Bob Kane always wanted everybody to know it was him right. Bob Kane signed it finger never got any credit he never got any money uh, evidently finger was always a, a you know a dollar short his whole life and, right. uh, and died uh, pretty much impoverished I heard in the 70s right um, but I don't think he really knew finger very well I know uh, Jerry Robinson knew finger 
uh, right. he's at the show, so you need to probably get well, up with him on that. Well, the, the, the folks listening to the show have already heard an interview with uh -huh. Jerry that we did, and Jerry well, talked a little bit well, about it. Well, it's all uh, downhill Finger. now that you've got to me after talking to, uh, <laughs> you know, Jerry Robinson. Well, Jerry, Jerry's uh, one of the greats, obviously, from the golden age of comic books, but, uh, you know, there, there, there are a lot of gaps in the history that, that folks don't know or they've forgotten or they don't, they don't remember, whatever the case may be, and... and, and Folks like but you, you know, the historians, uh, really help us put together, uh, I think, know, a good picture of the Golden Age and on, uh, on into the present. Well, I appreciate that, but it's really interesting that, that you know, this guy, Alex Toth, comes along, and he's, he's right there, uh, right after the birth of, of the comic book, really, uh, the superhero comic book, uh, which I guess Action won in, what, 38 is probably the first, you know, right. where it starts. Right. And then Alex is working in the field by 45, 46, and he's there with all the great, you know, editors. He's there with all the great writers and artists, uh, you know, but he was just a, you know, he was just a kid who was who was incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, uh, right. who uh, was, was fortunate enough that, uh, you know, that they needed people that could really draw, and he was... You know, guys like Infantino and Kubert, and those guys were right there and were able to feel that need during World War II. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I, I think he, I think he loved it more than anything. As you look at his uh, Green Lantern, uh, it immediately changes the, some of the approach, the way the character looks, some of the angles that Alex would draw. Totally original. Nobody ever drew it like that. Uh, up until then, there was guys like Ryman and people like that doing a uh, Green Lantern, and and then you you see Toad stuff, and you just go. That's a really interesting twist of the head or turn of the body. Um, it's not Kirby-esque as far as explosively jumping out at you, but it had a it had a humanity to it that was just uh, really personal and really brilliant. Um, and then you know, and then when I don't know if you know this book, there's a book called Danger Trail, and Alex did like five issues of Danger Trail, and you can see around issue three he does this story about the um, the uh, uh, French Foreign Legion. That is absolutely incredible, and you can tell he's discovered Sickles. He's 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 figured out the storytelling, and he just explodes. When was it? When was that published, John? Probably around 1952. Okay. Uh, and it's a, it's a story about the French Foreign Legion, and it's absolutely screaming. And and I'm I'm convinced that guys like Bernie Kriegstein, in particular, saw this story and realized that this is the way we need to go, because it was so smart and so original. Uh, Toth also, this is this is an interesting sidebar, but Alex was the first guy to ever use a rapidograph pen on a story in the history of comics, hmm. and that was the story he did for Standard called Crush Gardenia. Uh, it's an interesting crime story, but it's a brilliantly well-written story, and the storytelling, of course, is first-rate. But Alex the, claimed he was the first person that ever bought a rapidograph and did a story with wow. it. Wow, no, that in the early 50s also? That was uh, probably 53, maybe 54. All right. Um, but his DC period, it's very interesting that he would leave something like that. He, he mines a spot at DC in 46, 47. He's at the top of his field. He's got the top page rate in the whole, whole business by 1952. He has a falling out with Julie Swartz over scripts. Um, you know, that story's very interesting. But what happened, Julie was an editor. Julie Swartz was a brilliant editor who was at DC Comics for over 40 years. And Julie used to keep a stack of scripts as he needed them. Hmm. He would just stack them from the most needed at the top to, you know, the deadline down at the bottom where he could, you know, first if you brought in your story, he'd give you a check, and the one off the top is the one you did. Right. Alex just walked in and he said, I don't want to do Strange Adventures. I want to do Johnny Thunder. And Alex goes, look, that's the one on top of the stack. 
you got to go with that one. And Alice goes, but I don't want to do that. I want to do Johnny Thunder. And he goes, well, we need the Strange Adventures. And Alex was like, it's either Johnny Thunder or I quit. And he goes, well, I guess you quit. And he goes, okay. And I'm sure they screamed at each other, and he walked out. Alex was had to stew for a half an hour while they were playing Pinochle in the other room. Uh, Julie was a big card player and I th- a bridge player, and I'm and and he made Alex wait. We showed him up in front of his his peers. Mm-hmm. So Alex was kind of hot by the time it was time for him to turn in his work and get his check. Right. But you know, it it was a huge step in a way because it was it's interesting because you, it's hard to believe you would leave a company like DC Comics, which is the highest paying outfit you know at that time. What year? What year was this we're talking about? Uh, now? About 51, 52. Okay. He leaves, he leaves the top-paying outfit and then starts working for Standard, which couldn't have been, you know, it was obviously a cut in pay. Mm-hmm. But it also gave him a lot more freedom to experiment with what he wanted to wanted the storytelling and get better and better. Right. Because that was the main drive with Toth all the way around. Was he, you know, he was a very interesting guy because we all considered him to be a grandmaster, but he considered himself to be a student. He always considered himself growing and learning and trying to get better. Mm-hmm. And, as, and if you look at his style from the 40s and you look at his style in the 80s, it constantly is changing. It's con- constantly morphing into a more and more pure style of drawing and telling a story. Um, you know, we mentioned Clutter earlier. He would take things out of stories to make it more of a seamless story. Mm-hmm. He knew when to draw to make you slow down on a page, and he knew how to speed you up to make you go faster on the page. Right. Uh, you know, he was he was very conscious of this, and he understood that that power of telling the story is uh, is is comic books at its high point. It's when comic books become you know become art. Right. What what do you consider to be his best work in the comic book field? Well, um, that's a good question. Um, I, I would say, you know, his his story Bravo for Adventure, the uh, the one of the last big big graphic novel book that he ever did. It's uh, it's over uh, sixty pages. He wrote it, he drew it, lettered it, the whole spit. Who did he do that for? He did it. Uh, I think originally he did it for himself, and then it was published in Warren Warren Publishing in a. Uh, in a magazine called The Rook. It was basically hid in the middle of this book called The Rook, which had nothing to do with Bravo for Adventure, which was a, you know, a, a 20s, 30s, um, you know, Errol Flynn, you know, you know, swashbuckling kind of, you know, aviation strip. Right. Um, what year was that published? Uh, that was done in the early 80s, okay. 81, 82. But Alex, uh, Alex, you know, it was a very, very proud of that. And and that was the only original art that he never sold. He kept the, all the originals of that, mm-hmm. except for the cover, which he sold me. Uh, he called me on the phone and, he, I want you to give you first crack mm-hmm. at the Bravo for Adventure cover because I want to sell it. And I, I said, okay, I'll buy it. And he goes, well, I haven't told you how much it is. And I said, <laughs> well, that's okay, I'll buy it. And he goes, Hitchcock, you're not a very good businessman. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I am. Well, maybe I'm not. I don't know. He said, but I know what the cover is, and I know I love it, so I want to get it. So I brought it to the show to, you know, let people see some right. originals. And right. um, I, wonder, I know wonder, he was also real proud of, there was, a, there was a story he did called The Case of the Curious Chord in Hot Wheels 5, The Death Flies, The Haunted Skies, his only solo Batman job. Right. He was very proud of that. I know he was proud of his uh, his EC stories that he penciled and inked, uh, Thunderjet and Saberjet. He was really proud of that. And um, Th- those were published in what EC title? Uh, two Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat. Okay. Uh, I think the the two he inked were in uh, Frontline Combat Eight and uh, Number Twelve. All right. um, both those were incredible. Um, he had a falling out with Harvey Kurtzman though. Uh, 
over over the inking of the story. Kurtzman was a was you know one of the great geniuses in the field, and Kurtzman would uh, would basically do layouts for every one of the stories that he wrote. And Alex was one of those guys that would change layout to make the story stronger. Mm-hmm. Well. Kurtzman being one of the ultimate storytellers in the history of the medium obviously wasn't too keen about this guy changing his layouts right. and uh, Alex was also really famous for laying in huge, huge huge chunks of black in his layouts to strengthen his stories and Kurtzman thought that was cheating. He said you can't make that wing black. People won't know what it is. He goes that's how I see it. That's how I'm going to do it. So that's why I only did three. And right. it's funny, uh, he's very well remembered by comic book fans for those stories, but he took a cut and pay of over $10 a page to do it because he wanted to be a part of EC because he knew they were doing very interesting and, and, and captivating stuff. and advanced stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Death Flies, The Haunted Skies, The Batman Story. That was in uh, one of the issues of Detective Comics. Yeah, Archie Goodwin was the editor at that time, and it was one of the 25-cent annuals, and uh, Archie wrote it, and, uh, you know, the great Archie Goodwin wrote it, and uh, and Alex illustrated it. I owned three pages of that story. and you got the splash page, right? I got right? the splash page, you know. That's just an awesome, awesome. All you people can eat your heart out. Yeah, I own that <laughs> splash page. But that, that's one of the greatest splash pages, Batman splash pages, that uh, that I can think of. Well, he, he, wanted, he wanted me to buy the story, and I split it. You know, me and this guy went in, we split the story, and... And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was thrilled to get it, and I know he was very happy with that. You know, it's really funny because you look back, and if you look at some of the stuff he did for Warren Publications, Creepy, Eerie, Blazing Combat, um, you look at that material, and it just is mind-boggling how the variety that he used. He did, he did you know, uh, grease pencil, he did pen and ink, he did, uh, did zip-a-tone, he did a lot of tonal stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he really covered a wide range. A lot of those Warren guys did because they had a chance to really do more illustrative work in black and white format. Right. Um, but he, he, in a way, he was a little ashamed of some of that material. Not the great early stuff, but the later stuff, because they asked him to do stories about, you know, axe murderers and stuff like that. And he was very ashamed that people would bring that up, that he did that kind of stuff. Right. But, uh, but you know, he would try to clean it up. He would try to have tastefully do an axe murder <laughs> with a meat cleaver which is kind of funny but he but you it's, know when you look back at the stuff you can see what he was talking about it's like what bill Gaines said to the uh, senate subcommittee on juvenile delinquency he said well it's in good taste because you can't see the blood dripping from the bottom of the head yeah. as opposed to otherwise yeah yeah the, the senate the the, the Keefauer trial says right. uh, you think that's a you think that's a good in good taste for for you know and he goes for a crime comic well he's got a good point it is a crime <laughs> comic it's yeah. not you know dennis the menace that's right um did uh, was Death Flies, Flies the Haunted Skies, the only uh, Toth work on Batman that was published? The only, there was one other uh, annual he did. Uh, there was a Superman Batman that Terry Austin inked mm-hmm. in the uh, in the late '80s that uh, that Alex did. But it, uh, the the only solo job that he did on Batman was Death Flies the Haunted Skies, and he really wanted to uh, do more, but he was never really asked. Right. Uh, of course, Alex, you realize, was in Hollywood the hub of New York, DC Comics is in New York City. Right. So there's, you know, there's 3,000 miles difference. Uh, and, and he also, you know, he made more money in animation than he ever made in comics. Right. Now, I, I've turned to uh, what is about, I guess, the center of the, of the book, uh, Dear John, Alex Toth, pages 124 and 125. There's just an awesome Batman sketch in here that Alex did, it looks like, in 1992 for you. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, What's funny about that particular piece is I, I begged him to do another commission. He did a, he gave me a beautiful Bravo for Adventure piece, and he gave and, and I bought a Zorro piece, 
uh, he did a commission's oro piece. And I finally said, look, I really want you to do me another commission. Because, you know, I, I'm his, one of his biggest fans, and, and, and I was very lucky to be his friend. And, and he said, look, I'll only do Batman or Superman, that's it. And I'm like, you know, I'm thinking I'd like him to do Daddy in the Pie or, or you know, something else. But he's like, no, get Superman, you get Batman. I said, okay, Batman. And it, I think at that time he was going to charge like $300 or something. Mm-hmm. And he said, but look, I want to try something different. I want to do a gouache. I want to kind of play around with it. I said, whatever makes you happy makes me happy. I'm sure I'll love it. And so he, he did this this big Batman piece. And evidently some friends came by and he just finished it. And uh, and and he said, hey, what do you think? And uh, the, guy, the guys looked at it, whoever it was. I don't know who they were, but they were dummies. And they said, you know, it's really good, but I don't really like his legs. And Alex goes, what? You know, and he goes, yeah, I, I really don't care for his legs. There's something about And knowing Alex, he probably did some interesting original angle with him jumping or something. Right. And Alex stopped. He looked at the piece, and he suddenly just went, you know, you're right. And he grabbed an X-Acto knife and rip, 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 and just Ugh. cut out the piece that he liked. And he mailed me that, and he sent me my check back, and he said, I'll just keep it. It wasn't good enough, you know. Wow. Alex was... There's legendary stories of him doing stories for DC in the 70s mm-hmm. where he would turn in the work and, you know, one day an office boy was, you know, a college intern was walking through and everybody's looking at this story going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this stuff is so brilliant, it's so original. Because Toe's stuff was all original, it was all new, it was all inventive. Uh, and, and, he, and, he, and the kid walked by and he looks at the, he looks at the he says, what do you think? And everybody, and, and I got this story from Archie Goodwin. He said everybody like held their breath because they were like, "Please don't say anything stupid." <laughs> and 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 the kid looks at it and flips through it. And he goes, "Yeah, it's really good, but I really don't like your trees." And Alice goes, "What?" And they're waiting for him to explode because Alice was legendary for his temper, his his, his explosions. And uh, and he goes, "Yeah, it's really nice. I think it's really great, but I really just don't like your trees." Well, Alex's stuff is so sophisticated. It was obviously so far over this kid's head. And as soon as the kid said that, it was like everybody in the room wanted to grab him and drag him outside and beat him up. <laughs> and Alex says, you know, you got a really good, you know, I think you got a point. Those trees don't really look right. And they were like begging, leave, Alex, just leave the store, leave the store. we got to have the store because they know it's brilliant. And Alex goes, no, I'm just going to take it home and I'm going to work on it. Yeah, I'm gonna fix, he's right. These trees aren't right. Alex went home and tore the story up and threw it away. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So he was he was motivated. I don't think Alex was ever a guy who was motivated by money. Right. I mean, money was would make his life comfortable. Mm-hmm. He always his his uh, his daughter Dana at the Toth panel in San Diego basically said Alex always had a, just enough money that he was comfortable. He never sought out you know incredible wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and and so if he did something that that was not satisfying to him, if it wasn't just the way he liked it. He would tear it up and throw it away, and he just he wouldn't even turn it in. Wow. And it was a, fr- a huge frustration for everybody who worked with him um, because he would do work, and suddenly some weird thing would happen, and he would just throw it away. That's amazing. So it's amazing what we got to see, and it would be amazing to see what ended up in his garbage can. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we really lost a legend when he passed away in, in May of 2006, and uh, Fortunately for, for the fans of Alex Toth, you've got a book here that, that uh, will hopefully give us some more insight into his work <coughs> and his creativity and uh, the, the, the legend that he really was. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I just hope that this is, this is about as intimate a look as you could ever get into this guy because you get to read his letters. Right. You get to read an interview. You get to read uh, documentation of him talking about his storytelling. 
Um, it's it's uh, and it's all the you know uh, not all the postcards. I got another hundred postcards that we didn't use. Right. But uh, but sketches, doodle pages. I mean, it's it's a really great way of kind of introducing yourself to it. And if and if the book helps people discover this guy, you know, there's generations that keep coming along that are, you know, that are younger than us. Okay. Right. And and they don't know who this guy is. Right. And maybe this book will, in a small way will help that generation discover him. And that's really what the purpose is, was, you know, to begin with, is to let people uh, really, you know, have a little piece of this, you know, this guy in, in a historical way. Right. Again, the book is Dear John, Alex Toth by Alex, the, it's the Alex Toth Doodle Book by Alex Toth and John Hitchcock. It's 1995, published by Octopus, and it's still available and can be found, uh, I'm sure, on various online sources. Oh, yeah. Tell us again your website, uh, John. Uh, my website is uh, partsunknown.net. Okay. And uh, that's my store uh, uh, website address. And, and in the book, I've got my that website address and my store address if anybody's Great. interested. Good deal. Well, John, thank you so much for oh. being on the Golden Age of Comic Books, and hopefully we'll have you on the show again. Oh, love to do it. Have Thanks a great rest of the Heroes show. Yeah, thank right. you. Thank you. See you. All right, before we let uh, John run off, uh, there was one thing that, that, John, that you mentioned to me as we were getting ready to finish up, and uh, I wanted to make sure the listeners uh, could take advantage of that. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, this is something, if you're really interested in, uh, in Alex's work, uh, on July 17th, uh, Warner Brothers is going to release the complete uh, Space Ghost and uh, Dino Boy DVD, and it's going to have the great Alex Toth, uh, you know, designed stuff by Space Ghost. But there's going to be an extra DVD added to it. It's uh, it's by the director John Mefford, and it's going to be a documentary on Alex Toth's life. They uh, they interviewed his 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 uh, his family. He interviewed his friends. They sent a uh, crew in and interviewed me for two hours at my store, and it's going to be the first attempt at a documentary on his life. And it's the extra on the DVD set, so that's something to look forward to because yeah. I know I'm looking forward to it, not to see me because I know I'll say something stupid. We proved <laughs> that here, but I don't but know about you, that. But if you think about it, uh, it's really interesting that, that, that Warner Brothers would give a green light to a project like that, spend the money to fly people out to Hollywood, and interview them for this documentary. That's great. And, and so um, I can't wait to see what they're going to show. Um, I can't wait to hear what, they, what people have to say. But they got up with an awful lot of people, and, yeah. uh, and it looks like it's going to be a, a really special uh, DVD extra on the Space Ghost, the complete Space Ghost Dino Boy. That's awesome. And when will that be coming out? It's July 17th. Great. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that. I know that ought to be just an awesome look into the additional look into the life of Alex Toth. I can't wait. All right. Thanks again, John. Thank you. See you. Okay, we're here uh, again at day three of Heroes Con, and we're joined by Shelton Drum, the founder and the brains behind the action here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Shelton, welcome to the show. Probably more the brawn behind it than the brains sometimes. <laughs> well, t well t tell me uh, how the show's going. We're, we're uh, halfway through uh, day number, well, not quite halfway through, day number three. Uh, had a great crowd yesterday and Friday. Tell us about how it's been going. Well, the crowds have been great. I was very surprised with the lines to get in each morning. Um, even this morning, you know, the line was almost out to the front door of the convention center. That's great. That's amazing. How many people do you estimate we've had so far? Um, you know, I don't have really good numbers until it's all said and done. But yes, uh, Friday, I think, was probably 3,500 people or so through the door. Right. Uh, yesterday was approaching eight or ten thousand I guess so some of those are the same people you know right coming back again for the second day 
Well, like I say the, the line was way out the door today, so right. it's, it's good. That's awesome for a Sunday. You know, sometimes you, you don't see the crowd on Sundays. I've been coming to your show for years and years, and uh, I, I think it grows every year, I think, and, and the crowd. I just walked through the room a few minutes ago, and it was elbow to elbow a couple of places. So, yeah, you can't beat that. Uh, I tell you, it's just amazing. It's very uh, encouraging. Well, you've got some, some great guests here, great artists. Uh, we've been able to talk to a number of them. I've, I've, I've had a ball uh, talking to Jerry Robinson, someone yeah. I never met before. Of course, this is a golden age of comic book show, and what a great guest to have. He was a nice surprise guest. I, yeah. uh, you know, I was really kind of heartbroken that we couldn't get Joe Simon there at the last minute, but I'd already been talking to Joe, uh, Jerry Robinson for future appearance right so we just kind of called it in early yeah well he's uh, he's been a great guest I've been over to his table several times and he's had good lines uh, I was I was amazed uh, at the number of, of lines at everybody's table yesterday so the fan the fans were really supporting this this convention yeah I think he's had a good time too his, his wife Gray was asking me uh, Friday night she's well she said something Friday night well next year we'll do you know and I said does that mean you're coming back next year she said I oh, would love to oh that's great <laughs> that's great well tell us uh, what we've got in store for us for Heroes Con 2008 anything you can tell us at this point well I know that we're gonna uh, concentrate on it um, you know last year was so big for us it was very uh, it was a surprise you know and it just kind of swept us up and made us work really really hard all year and it's very stressful and one of my key uh, personnel uh, resigned after the show he got us through the show and he was just like too stressed <laughs> out and uh, so this year was a little bit stressful again for me because I was shorthanded. And uh, throughout the year, I kept working on him and got him back. So um, that's good. He's back full time, and, and his new job description is just to work on the show. So um, well, it's got to be a year long effort. Yeah, now I've got together. a full time, year long uh, assistant to work on this thing. Right. So well, I hope uh, 2008 will be bigger and better than 2007. I think it will be bigger and better. Uh, we're going to stick with this room. I like the size of this room, I think mm -hmm. it's the right ratio of fans to, to, to dealers, you know. Right. I want the dealers to make money. All right, uh, Shelton, we're back. I apologize. We had a little technical difficulties, not a wardrobe malfunction, but uh, <laughs> technical difficulties, and uh, this program I'm using cut us off. Uh, what We were in the middle of talking about the size of the room being just right for the dealers. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about that, and then we'll move on to what we had discussed uh, when the computer well, decided to glitch out on me. Well, what I was saying was I like the, size, the physical size of the room, and I don't want to really increase that size anytime soon. I like to make sure that the uh, the ratio of fans to the exhibitors is is just right for them to make money and the fans to get plenty of stuff to see and buy, you know. That's great. All right, let's talk about the art auction that was held last night. Uh, we, for the for the listeners that aren't aware, just about everyone on the guest list has created uh, an original piece of art that was auctioned off last night. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, uh, uh, how that went. Well, it went very well. We had uh, several hundred pieces for sale. I think it was probably two or three hundred. Almost everybody on the on the guest list contributed something. Uh, the the big uh, the big winners were uh, Phil Nodo and, and Adam Hughes again. How, how did how did they do? Adam's piece brought five thousand dollars. Wow, that's he, amazing. He did what, a, what did he What did he draw? What it was, was Obi, old Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, yeah, I uh, saw that over there. That was really it was awesome. a beautiful piece. Yeah. Um, you know, Adam set a record two years ago with like forty two or three hundred dollars, and Phil set a record last year with forty three or four hundred dollars. So uh, they were head-to-head -head this year. And <laughs> <laughs> what was the total that the uh, auction brought? Woo! 
it was it was way up there. Way up there. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. It's we'll it, it at it's going to definitely help cover the uh, the travel and uh, hotel expenses for the guests. That's that's what it was built to do, you know. Right. Well, that's really an awesome way to do it. Uh, you know, it, it it keeps the great guests coming and it keeps the show going. One of the great things about this particular Heroes Con 2007 is that it's your 25th anniversary. Yeah. Uh, it's just awesome that you've been doing this show for 25 years. I, I know I've mentioned to you that I started coming to your show when I was in college, and now I've got a little gray hair, <laughs> so that's been a while. Probably I was here for your first one. Um, you, you think you're going to make it to 50? Well, I'm not sure that I'm going to be the, the <laughs> guy, you know, doing everything that I have done for the last 25 years, but I hope it makes it to 50. and my kids or my employees or, or someone who right. uh, who cares about it carries it on right well they say that when you when you find something you love doing you keep doing it and uh, no matter how old you get I guess Jerry Robinson is a great example of that uh, he's 85 years old and right. he, he told me in the interview earlier on the show that he's still got several projects in the works and that's he, fantastic he continues to do them so I hope that's true with the heroes convention he, he's got well. so much energy I hope I've got half that energy in 25 years yeah <laughs> Well, I hope, uh, I hope that uh, you've had a good experience. You look a little bit tired, and I know that uh, you're going to be glad when uh, this day is over and, and tomorrow is over and you've finally got a little time to rest. But I assume that you'll pick it right back up and start planning for 2008. I'm, I'm carrying 2008 forms around today. That's great. Getting people uh, locked in for a year from now. That's, That's June 20. 20th, 21st, and 22nd, by the way. You were reading my mind. I was going to ask that. Uh, you've always traditionally had this on Father's Day, and happy Father's Day, by the way. Thanks, you too. Thank you. And uh, I assume that that will be the same weekend next year? Well, it's a week after Father's okay. Day next year. We, You know, Father's Day is always kind of an open weekend. Right. But occasionally there will be some big event going on in a hotel or the convention center, and that's the case next year. We can't get the space we want okay. on Father's Day, but we'll stay close and be the week after. That's great. Well, we're looking forward to being here. And, and let me say, on behalf of all the podcasters that have been here, we've had a, a really good representation. This has been the first year that there's been a pod alley. And uh, let me say, on behalf of all the podcasters, that we really appreciate you letting us set up uh, here at the show. We've had some great interviews with guests. And uh, uh, please know that, that we're going to support you just as much as you've supported us. And anyone listening to the show, I want to encourage you to, uh, to support the Heroes Convention. Uh, it's one of the greatest conventions, I think, in the U.S. every year. Uh, it is certainly devoted to comics, and uh, it's one of the best. So, Shelton, thank you so much for letting us be here, and, and thank you uh, for putting on such a great show. Oh, you're welcome, Bill. Thank you for, uh, for being here. And we'll see you next year. All right, thanks. thanks. All right, well, I can't think of a better way to end our coverage of Heroes Con 2007 than an interview with Shelton Drum, the, the founder, the brawn, the brains behind the whole show. So thanks again, Shelton for having us here this year and uh, we're really looking forward to heroes con 2008 thanks to all the guests who were on the show uh too many dimensions jerry robinson don rosa john hitchcock uh, of course all of the uh, the great guys uh from comic geek speak comic news insider uh, comic book savant and uh of course aaron from sci-fi dig Appreciate all of you being on my show, and I look forward to seeing you guys next year at Heroes Con 2008. As always, don't forget to check out the website, goldenagecomics.org, and that will uh, give you a link to all of our podcasts. You can go to our Comic Space site, comicspace.com forward slash GAC, and uh, you'll find their information about the Golden Age of Comic Books. And drop us an email, goldenagecomics at gmail.com, if you want to talk about the podcast or anything related to the golden age of comics.
Well, I hope everybody's having a great summer. I hope everybody uh, has a great time at any other cons they're going to go to. We've certainly had a wonderful time here at Heroes, and I hope there'll be uh, other great opportunities to attend some conventions throughout the rest of the summer. Not going to make it out to San Diego this year, unfortunately, but uh, have sure had a great time here. Have met a lot of great people, a lot of great creators, and uh, really just, just had a wonderful time. So I hope everybody has a wonderful week coming up, and I look forward to talking to each and every one of you about Golden Age comic books on our next show.